0: Welcome to the HealthCast. I'm your host, Marilee Smith, and joining me today is Dr. Paul Skoll. He is a South African-based plastic surgeon, and he is currently practicing in Cape Town at NetCare Christian Barnard Memorial Hospital, where I've had the privilege of meeting him in person. And our very interesting topic today is everything you need to know regarding breast augmentation. Dr. Paul Skoll, welcome to the HealthCast.
1: Thank you. Thanks very much for having me.
0: Dr. Skull. jumping straight into our topic for discussion today, I know there can be a lot of confusion regarding the terms breast augmentation, breast implants, breast fills. And before the call, you also mentioned that the term breast augmentation and breast implants can be used interchangeably. Would you mind explaining to us what exactly breast augmentation is.
1: So my understanding, uh, the term breast augmentation, to augment something is to make it bigger, larger. So breast augmentation is like a generic term. um, And most often, and I would say in excess of 90% of the time, that augmentation is achieved through the use of implants. So breast augmentation or breast implant surgery are more or less used interchangeably.
0: Dr. Skull. starting with our first statement for discussion today, breast augmentation can be achieved with various techniques. Would you mind taking us through these different techniques and options that are available?
1: Okay, so let's start with the the more common or um, probably the more predictable uh, method of breast augmentation is done using usually silicone implants. So Mm -hmm. if somebody presents to a plastic surgeon with small breasts, either because they were born with very small breasts that never developed, or sometimes after breastfeeding children, the breasts have lost a little bit of volume, the likelihood is that they're going to be offered breast augmentation surgery using breast implants. And they're broadly speaking, two types of implants. They're those that are filled with saline, which is salt water. And those that are filled with silicone gel. And I would say in the vast majority of cases, certainly outside of North America, most people would opt for silicone gel fold breast implants. And that is kind of the standard offering. And we can drill down into the detail. But I think if a woman presents with deflated breasts or small breasts, they are going to be offered breast implant surgery in order to predictably and relatively quickly and simply augment their breasts or make them larger. On the other hand, a very small percentage of people may be implant-averse. They don't want breast implants, but they do want some enhancement, some enlargement. Mm -hmm. And the way that you can sometimes achieve that, and I think it is oversold as a reasonable method of breast enlargement, is to liposuction some fat from somewhere else on your body, Um, it may be apparent to a lot of people, but not necessarily everyone, the fat cannot come from your friend or your sister or anyone else. It has to come from you. And oftentimes, the very people who might benefit from fat folds or fat grafting of the breasts are the people who are quite slim to begin with. That's why they have small breasts. But in a small percentage of people, you can sometimes quote unquote, scrape together some fat to inject into the breast where you can slightly enlarge the breast, almost never a full cup size um, by removing fat from where there's excess, perhaps on the hips or the love handles or the thighs and injecting that into the breast. But it is highly, highly unpredictable. And by unpredictable, I mean that the uptake of the injected fat is very poor by comparison with a breast implant, that only small volumes can be injected. And more often than not, if you want to achieve a reasonable augmentation, you'd have to do that two or three times, separated by several months, to add a little bit more each time to fill out the volume. It's a very, very unpredictable, and in my opinion, which is just my opinion, um, not a very uh, useful way of cosmetic breast augmentation except in the people that are implant averse who will accept a very very minimal change in their breast volume I think it may have merit and where I use it quite extensively is in breast cancer surgery where people have had a mastectomy perhaps had an implant reconstruction and then we use the fat as kind of like the polypillar for some irregularities rather than building up the breast from the ground up like a more of a sort of buffing up what you've already created rather than creating the mound itself.
0: Dr. Skull, after you explained it so, so nicely, I would like to take it a step further for our listeners and ask if the same outcome can be achieved from both these kind of procedures and whether or not they can be used together as well.
1: Okay. So without a shadow of a doubt, Breast implant surgery, placing a silicone implant in the breast, is faster, more predictable, and will have a much better cosmetic outcome, in my opinion, than trying to achieve something similar with fat. The only thing you can achieve with fat folds is a very, very subtle enhancement, certainly less than a cup size, unless you are prepared to do multiple surgeries. You asked about the possibility of doing a little bit of each that's come into vogue a little bit of late. It's called a hybrid breast augmentation, where people are placing some fat folds into the breast, usually in the sort of cleavage area, and also using breast implant. So a combination of breast implant to be the main event, if you like, the cake itself and the fat fill to be the icing. Um, that sort of thing can be done. For me, I, I'm on the fence about it. I, I think it's a long run for a short jump, but I think there are some cases. In fact, I've got a patient at the moment who has um, a chest wall deformity on the one side, like a dent. And if I just put implants in, she's still going to have the dent. So under those circumstances, I would put a bit of fat into the dent so that I can kind of even it out. So, as a polyfiller, yes. As the main event, not so sure.
0: Okay. So in your opinion, Dr. Skoll, who is the ideal candidate for breast augmentation?
1: So a breast augmentation is best done usually, and the results are best in somebody who's slim, who has small breasts that are not droopy. And by droopy, I mean that if you drew a line underneath the breast where the breast Uh, meets your body at the bottom, we call that the inframammary crease, and you're looking at somebody with their arms down by their sides, their nipple needs to be above that crease, okay, Uh, uh, higher up on the breast mount, that the nipple is central on the breast mount and not pointing toward the ground. If somebody's nipples are pointing down like this, then they would not be a good candidate for a breast augmentation and they would need some form of lift as part of their uh, sort of reconstructive package, but people with small breasts, deflated breasts, where the nipples are facing forward and are well above the breast crease, and who want to have larger breasts because there's nothing wrong with a small breast. It's only if you want a bigger version of a small breast, then you would be a good candidate for a breast augmentation.
0: Let's say, Dr. Skoll, you are a woman of 50 years and older. You've had children and you have breastfed. What surgical options would there be for this kind of candidates?
1: So a, a woman of 50 who's had children, the first, the first thing I would, um, suggest is that she get her breast screened if she hasn't done that in the past sort of 12 months. So I normally insist that patients really 40 and older, uh, have a mammogram and a breast sonar to make sure that there's nothing untoward going on with the breast before I would consider operating on them. And then. It's not really age related as much as sort of anatomy related. If somebody of 50 or more has a small, flat breast with a nipple above the crease, then they would be, a, and want bigger breasts, then they would be a reasonable candidate for a breast augmentation. And I can tell you that my eldest patient to date was some years ago, uh, who came for her first breast augmentation, was 72 years old and had wow. great breasts and just wanted them a bit bigger. So it's not about the age per se. If you're otherwise well,
0: is it always necessary to first have a lift and then move over to, like you said, the the fat full option?
1: Uh, no, not at all. So the the age is a consideration, but it's not all about the age. If mm. somebody has good breasts, and by good I mean that the distance from we measure from the bottom of the throat to the nipple, if that is a short distance, and they have otherwise good anatomy. It doesn't matter if they are 25 or 55, you don't need to lift a breast that doesn't need to be lifted. So those people can just have an augmentation if they so choose. Um, beautification is a slightly loaded word. I think, um, question is, is a fuller or bigger breast more beautiful than a smaller, less full breast. That's obviously uh, in the eye of the beholder. Um, I don't think it's essential for breasts to be big, to be beautiful. Um, so, uh, you, you know, but it, it's obviously an individual sort of choice on the part of, of, of the person. And if they want to, it's usually the sort of thing that they want to fill out an evening dress a little bit better that they don't want to wear a bra that, um, they want to fill out a bikini, um, and, and to look good in clothing basically, uh, and the straightforward augmentation will achieve that. So, but regardless of age, it's more to do with the anatomy than, than the age.
0: Dr. Skull, is it safe to say that if somebody just wants their breasts filled um, more round, let's say you are older of age, that you would move or lean more to a fat fill option than a breast implant option?
1: No, I would, my default setting is to put in a breast implant, not to put in fat. I would, somebody would have to convince me and, and, and we would have to have a long discussion as to why fat would be their preferred uh, method of breast enhancement. It's doable. It's just, it's setting the patient and the doctor up for a degree of disappointment, unless they are very committed to potentially more than one surgery.
0: So are you always going to achieve a bigger breast outcome with breast implants?
1: Yes, that is the principal reason why we put implants in. It has less to do with the shape of the breast and more to do with the volume of the breast. So if people have good-shaped small breasts and you put in a breast implant, they will have good-shaped bigger breasts. If they have lousy-shaped small breasts and you just put in an implant, they will have lousy-shaped bigger breasts. So in in my world, the biggest determinant of The aesthetic outcome of a simple breast augmentation, and by that I mean just putting in an implant with doing nothing else, the single biggest predictive outcome is your anatomy before you have the surgery. The closer to ideal that is, the closer to ideal the result will be because you're just with respect shoving a a doorstopper between the breast and the chest wall and it pushes your breast forward. And if your breast is good to begin with, it will be good afterwards.
0: Absolutely. Dr. Skull. moving over to our second statement then today, and I think a lot of women after surgery don't know this, um, breast implants don't need changing. Is this true?
1: It's half true. So I think people need to understand that when you have a breast implant in your breast, you have accepted the possibility, not the certainty, but the possibility that you may have to have secondary surgery down the line. The thing you don't have to accept is that after a given period, let's say 10 years, because that's a popular number that's sort of bandied about, that what you don't have to do is have your implants replace, serviced, tweaked, or done something with every 10 years. That's absolute nonsense. Uh, uh, that's just not the case. So the question is, Well, if I have breast implants, what are the reasons that I might have another operation for? Not because of time. Time is not one of them. Okay. If it's been 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, 30 years, if an ultrasound or an MRI, if you want to go that route, shows that the implant is in a good position, that it is soft, that you are happy with it, and that there is no breach of the shell of the implant, then there is zero reason to do anything about it. We only act for a few reasons. Why might we act? Number one, people might have had implants, say, 10, 15, 5, 10, 15, any amount of time ago, and they've decided they don't feel like implants anymore, not because of any problem, just decided I've had enough, I want them out. That's one reason why we might take them out. The second reason we might take them out, or we will take them out, is if a sonar or an ultrasound shows that the implant is broken. If the implant shell is broken, then we advise that the implants get removed. And if they get removed, you can choose to replace them or maybe just do a lift or or various options, but a broken implant should be removed. That's the second reason. So first one is patient request. Second one is broken implant. Third one is a capsular contracture, which is scar tissue that forms around the implant, can sometimes squeeze down on the implant and make it feel all hard. And whilst it won't cause you um, any health issues, it's uncomfortable and people don't like it, So they might choose to have those implants removed. So it's patient request, broken implant, capsular contracture. And the last one, which is a soft one, is that if somebody's had implants, say 10 or 15 years prior, and their breasts, that they've had a couple of kids since, and their breasts have maybe sagged, And they come to you 15 years later and the sonar shows the implants are fine. And you say, well, we're going to do a breast lift. You're coming now for a breast lift. While we're there, should we maybe think of changing the implants? Not essential. And if you weren't having the breast lift, we wouldn't interfere. But kind of since we're there, maybe we should just remove and replace. Okay. So those are the only reasons why we interfere with a breast implant people have surgery for other reasons. So they might say, well, you know what? I've had whatever volume for the last 10 years. I've lost a bit of weight. Uh, maybe I've had a kid or two. Breasts have said, I want you to fill them out a bit more. So they decide to, decide to change the size, maybe bigger, maybe smaller. And that would be another reason to have surgery. But what isn't a reason to have surgery is, oh, well, it's been X number of years. We need to go for a service. This is not like a motor plan.
0: Dr. Skoll, you did mention that implants may have to be replaced or removed due to a broken barrier. What would be the signs to look out for in terms of an implant having a broken barrier?
1: Okay. So uh, again, the, the overwhelming majority, certainly in South Africa and, and probably worldwide, uh, type of implant is a silicone shell, which contains a semi-solid or cohesive silicone gel. Saline implants are used a bit in North America, not much elsewhere. And a saline implant, which is a silicone shell surrounded by salt water, if that pops or breaks or leaks, your breast will just go flat like over a few days. It will just leak out like a leaking water bottle. With the cohesive silicone gel, the gel is quite firmly stuck to itself. So when there's a breach in the implant shell, The gel doesn't pour out like a liquid and your breast might not change at all. In fact, you might not know that you've got a leak uh, because very little can happen. So, but if you're concerned, um, you can go for a sonar and they can usually pick it up. A broken implant is left for years and years and years. And little white cells in your blood will pick up that silicone and carry it to the glands under your arm. And so some people present with a swollen gland under their arm. And then when the radiologist does, has a look, they'll see that there's silicone in the gland that gives you something called a snowstorm appearance. So they can identify that. And by inference, they'll tell you that the implant is broken. It doesn't really cause any health issues. But if we know that an implant is broken, we say it should rather come out. We don't like free silicone in the body.
0: Definitely not. Dr. Skull. then we're just going to touch on some of our frequently asked questions um, regarding breast implants or breast augmentation. Um, You did briefly touch on this. What are the different types of implants and how do I choose the right one for me?
1: So the patient doesn't really have the luxury of choice exactly. Um, In South Africa, there are a limited number of implant manufacturers who distribute their implants in South Africa. So you literally have a choice of two different manufacturers with varying stockholding. So your choices are fairly limited in terms of the manufacturer. And then usually during a consultation, the long and the short of it is that your body measurements help not dictate but guide which implant may be better for you and the implants have two main dimensions their width and their height or their projection so projection is how far the, your breast would stick out from from you outwards and the width of the implant is how wide your breast base is and so what you can do as a patient is you can try on a number of different projections and decide on the projection that you like the most, whether it's quite low or medium or high or insane, you can pick that projection. What you can't pick is the width because the width is dictated by the width of your chest and the width of your breast. So the choice you have is in the projection. The choice you don't have really is the manufacturer in this country and the width of the implant because that's dictated by your body measurements and the width of your breast.
0: Dr. Skull, also a very important question. Will I be able to breastfeed after breast augmentation surgery?
1: The very short answer is always yes. The breast, it's a difficult concept to understand, but people would think that the breast implant is in your breast, but the breast implant is never in your breast. At worst, it is behind your breast, sitting on top of a chest muscle, or maybe better in some cases, partially under the chest muscle. But it's never in your breast. Your breast is a gland that sits between the skin and your chest wall, and nothing goes in that. So when you get pregnant and you breastfeed, everything is happening in front of the implant. The implant's not sitting in that space. It's a wedge between the gland that is your breast and your chest wall. So you can absolutely breastfeed. Some people like to use an incision around the areola. I don't, but some do. It's a perfectly acceptable incision. And sometimes that can go through a few ducts on the way in. I prefer an incision under the breast, in the crease of the breast. And that way you don't traverse the breast at all, but go right behind it straight away. The whole breast is lifted forward. There's no impact on breastfeeding whatsoever.
0: Then, Dr. Skull, you did briefly touch on this for women older than 40 years of age, but can breast implants affect mammograms or breast cancer detection?
1: So again, the short answer, the take-home message is no. Um, so uh, uh, breast if you speak to a radiologist who does breast radiology, they will tell you that the breast that they prefer looking at is a breast that's never been operated but you can certainly do mammograms and ultrasounds on patients who have implants behind their breast and perhaps better still under the muscle. Uh, You can visualize everything. If there's any uncertainty, you can always go for an MRI. That breast implants do not cause cancer. In fact, we routinely, or not breast cancer, uh, we routinely use breast implants to reconstruct women who've lost a breast due to cancer. Uh, They are routinely followed up with all sorts of investigation. Uh, it doesn't uh, hide any recurrence should you have it, doesn't cause the usual type of breast cancer or anything like that. So from that perspective, you would screen your breast as a woman 40 and older, you would screen your breasts in exactly the same way whether you had implants or not implants. The screening system is the same.
0: Then my last frequently asked question for you, Dr. Skoll, are breast implants safe? Are there any complications associated with breast augmentation?:
1: Well, it depends on It, <laughs> it, it depends on how deep you want to go with this, but um, I would say this much: again, if you want the sort of mug's guide, the short answer breast implants are safe, but they are, there are problems associated with having breast implants, notably, you're going to have an operation which you otherwise wouldn't have. You're going to have a scar on your breast, which you wouldn't have if you didn't have the surgery. And you're going to have an implant in your breast that you might be able to feel through the skin um, that could become encapsulated, that could leak. You could have a surgical complication like bleeding or infection. So It's not a completely benign process. Um, There are some very, very rare um, issues related to certain breast implants. And I'm pleased to be able to tell you that The manufacturer that produced these implants uh, have withdrawn those implants from the market and we don't hear too much about that issue anymore. I'm happy to talk about it, but it's likely to create more hysteria than it's actually worth. Um, It's really, uh, current breast implants are in fact reasonably safe. Uh, I have no problem putting breast implants uh, in patients because I think it's a safe thing to do. There are a lot of women who complain of so-called breast implant illness, and it's a very um, divisive syndrome uh, where science, as at today, has failed to show any causal link between breast implants and the syndrome known as breast implant illness. Um, But I'm sure I'll come into a lot of flack for saying that, but I can tell you that's what the science says. Is the science wrong? I don't know, but as of today, it's been looked at extensively uh, without any causal link ever being found. And very few uh, implanted devices had been looked at so closely as silicone over the last, since 1960, when the first implant was put in. Um, You would think they'd have come up with something by now, but they haven't.
0: Just wrapping up our episode today, are there any final thoughts from your side you'd like to share with anybody looking at possibly going for breast augmentation surgery?
1: Um, Yes. The The first thing is obviously do your homework. The second thing, so go and see a the American term, a board certified plastic surgeon. I don't think it's appropriate for general practitioners to be putting breast implants in patients. So go to a board certified plastic surgeon and then do your homework and see two or three plastic surgeons to make sure that you're on the same page. And most importantly, make sure this is what you want, because it is not without its own set of potential problems, and you must be willing to accept those compromises in order to be happy with the outcome. It's a fairly simple operation. The results are usually good, and the patients are usually happy. But the worst thing you want to do is have someone usher you in or go in because a boyfriend is, you're having problems with your partner and you think that bigger breasts are going to fix that. That absolutely never works. Okay. Mm -hmm. So go in for the right reason to the right doctor, have plenty of discussions, go back again and again until you are absolutely convinced that this is what you want to do. And then if, if your intentions, if you like, are pure and your motivations are solid, you should be very happy with the outcome.
0: Definitely. And as you mentioned, Dr. Skoll, that it is obviously inserting breast implants, your your breasts are going to be bigger, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be huge.
1: Correct. Now, that is something you want to discuss with the doctor beforehand. Um, uh, uh, You know, the, the, the alternative would often tell people there is a trend in putting filler, injectable filler into the lips. And people go, oh my God, I don't, I don't want to do that. It looks terrible. Everyone looks like they've been pushed through a keyhole and so on and so forth. And my answer is simply this, and it works the same with breast implants. There is something that you can do between doing absolutely nothing and doing too much. It's not either or. You don't have to put in nothing or just overdo everything. You can find a happy medium somewhere along the line. So with breast implants, you know, some people think bigger is better. Uh, um, I, I don't subscribe to that philosophy. I think natural is better, but there's always going to be somebody who won, you know, massive breasts and massive breasts come with massive problems. So be sensible.
0: Absolutely. Dr. Skoll, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today.
1: Hey, you're welcome. It's my pleasure.
0: That wraps up today's episode with Dr. Paul Skoll covering all you need to know regarding breast augmentation. This podcast is powered by GlobeMed UK, giving you access to the best doctors, treatments and medical specialists worldwide.